Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that strives to bring you entertainment on a Wednesday night, even if the team didn't. This week on Heart and Hand, I don't suppose anybody kept Graham Marty's number. So welcome to Art and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name's David Edgar, I'm your host, and I'm joined this week by the Livingston Lothario, Mr Cameron James Bell. Happy Wednesday. And now we are coming to you right after kick-off, something that we don't usually do. We usually have a, a bit of time to to reflect on what we've just said or what we saw. So tonight we, we haven't really, this will be a Cammy and I almost having a cathartic uh chat to get everything out let's let's start then I mean we will talk about Saturday but might as well kick off uh, in Kilmarnock probably more than the team did uninspired would that be a, a, a good description do you mean us or the players <laughs> well I don't think people expect much from us but uh, but the performance um, yeah lacklustre and actually disappointing from a team and a management group that's so fresh, if that makes sense, actually I would expect to see a lot more effort and a lot more um, desire. And yeah, I think really, really struggling. And it's quite sad to be talking about a team performing under a brand new manager in that way. Now, before anyone trivacuses of being too negative, you could say, and it would be realistic, the Rangers should have won the match based on having you know enough possession we didn't really look like conceding it wasn't and that's positive especially with having two kids in the side tonight making their debut in the back four so from that point of view good against that you're up against an attack with Chris Boyd and Connor Salmon in it you would hope you would be able to dominate that but I felt in midfield we couldn't really we couldn't really impose ourselves in terms of getting anything going creatively now we did have a lot of the ball 
Um, but it was mainly wide and mainly led to the ball being slung into the box. I lost count of the number of corners we had, but with uh, one header from Danny Wilson, which the keeper made an excellent save from. Uh, Freddie Woodford, doesn't he sound like a 1950s gangster? Yeah, he sounds like someone who could have been a president in America or something like uh, that back in the, I, you know, just the, the, the repression era. No, I think he sounds more like an enforcer for the craze. Yeah. <laughs> Famous Freddie Woodford. But tonight, um, he, made a, he made a few good stops, but we had so many set pieces, so many corners, so many crossing opportunities. I thought that in terms of work rate, you couldn't point the finger at the likes of Holt or Waghorn. It was just a lack of quality. But I have to say, Andy Halliday, given the captain's armband tonight, uh, I thought he was absolutely atrocious. And I thought that, A, being a captain and performing with that lack of verve, I think sends a message to the team. And B, when you're supposed to be and you kind of live off that you're the bear, you're the fan at the club, then I thought that was a really lacklustre, lackadaisical performance from him, which I think... Really, we were like a man down in midfield. It's yeah. So I said one of the the, the previous weeks I was in the pod about the the the, the kind of analogy, the kind of lad at the disco and stuff. And and tonight we were that guy who goes around uh, the garage disco dance floor, talking to every single bird, getting KB'd, 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 but just tries like a demon all night until he hopefully gets something and then the same line though you're walking you're, yeah you're walking out yeah he, he tries the same three, getting line. your jacket and he's, he's touching a munter that's that's what we were doing tonight because we, we were just constantly trying it and trying it and trying it and nothing was coming off and I think what's what's interesting though is that when you see um, Windass coming in and you see uh, Dodo coming on as well tonight um, in my opinion we are paying the penalty for not um, using our squad enough to be able to try and keep these guys fresh so that when they come on they're capable of delivering something because we've got no sharpness up front and, and in an ideal world what we should be looking for is that if striker A is having a poor night unable to finish you've got a third of the game left so around about the 60 minute mark you can bring him on with striker B who you also know can potentially bring on goals and as well as saying that the performance is uninspired and the bench is uninspiring as well there's no one we don't have a match winner, in my opinion, and we have relied on Miller in that area for far too long. Halliday, I think, um, is probably on borrowed time in this Rangers team now, and I think he's starting to realise it. I think. I think he played uh, like Kachina, a guy. starting to probably yeah. look look like yeah that that's kind of that's going to be kind of it. Cammy, I think he played like a guy who knows his time is up. I think he played like a guy who either has been told or is getting the vibe that he's not long for this world. But I would have expected, if it was me, um, and not professional football, I never had the talent, but if I wanted to stay at a club, I'd be bursting a gut right now to try and show the manager that, no, actually, you've got this wrong, you should want to retain me. And I didn't see that at all from him tonight. Yeah, I I think he kind of knows. I mean, I, I don't know what's happening with him in training and all that kind of stuff and sometimes you can see players so if you've ever seen kind of coaching sessions you can see the manager talking to who he sees as potential you know, key assets to the team he'll spend more time with them he'll involve them in conversations 
sometimes it, it all include guys like the captain, sometimes it all include set piece takers, um, potentially players who will give you a decent outlet in terms of either creating a chance or finishing it. If you're not involved in that kind of circle, I suppose, then what then tends to happen is you then start to feel quite expelled. And if that's happened to Halliday, then fair enough. But no one... I, I would really like to believe that Andy Halliday doesn't need to be told that his limited talent is not going to carry him into the Rangers' legacy. Because in actual fact, what has done it is exactly as you said earlier on, the guy's a bear, he's one of us. Every single Rangers fan wants to see him do well, but the problem is, though, if the guy's not capable of doing it, he's not capable of doing it. No one will ever turn around a bad mouth, Andy Halliday, as far as I'm concerned. I think he's been a good servant to Rangers. He, he came on the off chance that he might get a game, and he came in and he did really well. And one of the things, I was actually talking about this to someone the other day, but one of the things as well is, the, the Scottish Cup final that lost the Hibs and all the aftermath and all that one of the things that's really forgotten about that is the absolute belter of a goal that he scored in that game absolutely and and actually it's things like that that I would like Halliday to try and remember rather than any kind of negative connotations of what was happening but this is part of a transition when a manager comes in and he's completely changed the management team and he's looking to be able to try and uh, move things on a bit because the team that he was in was underperforming then at the end of the day he has to accept the fact that if he can't step up to that mark then his career is going to have to go elsewhere. And that is, that's the game he's chosen to be in. Well, I want to talk about... Uh, tonight was, a, I thought, a kind of huffing and puffing but no inspiration performance. But I want to talk... Before we talk about issues that have, have arose from the two matches, I'll talk briefly about what happened on Saturday. I thought the first half on Saturday... Uh, was up there with one of with any of our really worst performances this season under Warburton. I thought we were diabolical. We couldn't spring two passes together, never mind three. We had no invention. Motherwell looked like scoring pretty much every time they went forward. Uh, we'll come to the substitutions afterwards. But in the second half, I will give Kashina credit because what he changed was in the first half, Motherwell looked like scoring, we didn't look like scoring. In the second half, Motherwell looked like scoring... We did look like scoring, so we at least got that going. And again, they, they fought pretty hard that second half. It, it was one of the most mental games I've ever watched. The second half was like an acid trip. It was like watching the Harlem Glo- uh, Globetrotters because it was just you attack, we attack. And there was no shape, no pattern. I think Barry McKay admitted afterwards he didn't know what formation it was. Uh, the manager had claimed that the, the substitutions were forced upon him, some dubiety uh, among the, or some doubt among the fans about whether that was true because surely if it was all injuries you would put Senderos, the defender, on. And he said, well, he wasn't fit either, so why is he on the bench? Um, but it was a real... Overall, I mean, it was a real kind of... Uh, you know, last day of the sale at Primark performance where it was just basically this mad jumble I think it's it was interesting because um, <laughs> there was a few uh, um, gifts going up on uh, on Twitter and all that kind of stuff of like all these kind of sums and mental calculations of people trying to work them out, which was everyone at Ibrox at halftime trying to work out where these players were going. Um, I, I've said I've said previously in the pod I think we spent money really stupidly in the summer on key signings. Um, Joey Barton. Grancha, Sendros, and so far I've done nothing but be proven right in that aspect. What I don't get is if Sendros, you've hit the nail on the head, if Sendros isn't fit, why is he on the bench? But then equally, 
if he's not fit, how the fuck can he not be fit? Because not in a bad way, he's not playing games. So if he's picked up a knock or whatever and he's done that in training, again, this is dialing back to the Kanchar um, circumstances where um, the guy's not fit. He's not fit, he gets injured. It takes longer to come, uh, recover from injury. Kranchar's uh, had a serious injury, totally get that. But if, if Senderos is not fit enough and he's not even going to be considered for that, what you're telling me is you're telling me that Andy Halliday fit is going to be a better um, replacement at centre-half than Senderos. And if that's the case, I'd, I'd love to know why we're paying Senderos any kind of form of money. Because I'd even have chucked a fucking 18-year-old in there to be able to try and give him some time. And that's without an exaggeration because I, I genuinely don't know if these guys are just sitting on there waiting for a chance to come on but yet they're still injured so I, I don't even know how you how you come to that conclusion um, I think in terms of um, disjointed would probably be the word that would use for the first half against Motherwell because it just felt like nobody really knew what they were supposed to be doing I don't know if there was a game plan for the first 10 or 15 minutes which was then due to change and it didn't Coutinho seems very very involved in terms of understanding the opposition yeah I mean and yeah, no with, which is good but I'm just concerned he's over analysing it like I think he's taking it too far in terms of some of the stuff that he's doing um, because if you're telling me that you need to go into analysis of Motherwell don't leave uh, Lewis Moult unmarked in the box at corner <laughs> there you go yeah, there you go. Can I can I get my wages now, please? Yeah, that that's a fairly simple piece of analysis that you would think would be. You think we would have learned it from earlier in the season because it's not the first time that it's it's bitten us on the arse. And uh, yeah, I just thought we were. And again, he mentioned McDonald playing in the hole, and the McDonald caused us all sorts of problems because it's all right knowing they're going to do this, but if you don't have the players to. Our players never learn. You know, it's it's, it's the ultimate irony of the Mark Warburton era. Um, we'll learn from it. Our players never do, and they seem incapable of adapting and changing and, and thinking. Right, well, Scott McDonald's going to drop off Molt uh, or Molt's the guy I need to target. It just it, it's the same shit every week, and I think if you, if you watch if you watch a replay the Molt if you watch a replay the Molt goal, you can see that Wallace is supposed to be marking him, and effectively the tactic is they create and it's not a new tactic. They create just a barrier to stop Wallace following Molt's run. He's then unmarked free header. That's it. The, the problem I've got with this is that even Lee Wallace should know that something like that's going to happen. He shouldn't need coach to be able to then say, yeah, by the way, this is a likely scenario because he's actually physically seen it himself before. So you're not buying the fitness issue with Wallace then, that that was the cause of it? So I'm not, I'm not buying it, but then at the same point, see if you're not fit, right? So if you're in a game of football and you're not fit or you're carrying a knock and you need to be able to try and either run it off or wait until half-time before you, can, before you can be substituted, you tell someone, by the way, can you pick this guy up for me? And he could have told one of the forward, he could have told one of the midfielders, actually. But he should have then said, I'm struggling for this, can you cover for me? So you've sometimes seen it in games where you've seen Wallace bombing forward and potentially one of the midfielders has kind of dropped for him as he's waiting for him to come back. You see it more often in the kind of latter stages of games. Because he's effectively he's covering for them, but I don't believe for a minute that Wallace has then turned around and said, "Yeah, I'll just grin and bear this and go through it." If he's had to go off at half time, then it's been quite a serious injury. And if that's had to happen, then it's because of the fact that he's not he's not put in place sufficient cover to try and make sure that Mo was was dealt with at corners. Because how many goals do we concede in that capacity? Yeah, well, quite quite a few. Um, tonight. 
I, I just thought, yeah, again, and there were signs of this again on Saturday that for the amount of times we work into decent positions, and that's the thing when people are saying this, this team are hopeless, they're, they're horrible, they do the, the odd thing well, and one of them is that they work the ball into good positions, but then the final ball is, honest to God, it's usually about as inviting for the striker or the on-rushing midfield. It's usually as inviting as Vanessa Phelps, you know, down in all fours. It's just not ever something that's going to that's gonna lead to, to a glut of goals. And we are consistently making these same errors to the point where you almost think that, lads, see where you're looking to cross the ball, pick somewhere else, and then by accident it might land at the feet of one of our on-rushing players. Because we, we get to the byline, we walk the ball to the byline, and then we just do not make the most of it. We, we do a lot, in my opinion, where we, we try and alternate it and try and vary it attack to attack. And I, I don't know if that's in purpose or not, because if I was a striker... I wouldn't know if you want me running near post with the ball on the ground and the ball coming in there, do you want to go to the back post? I don't know what's happening with the the opportunities that you're creating. So in that space, what then happens is I, I get confused about what, what is going to happen next. And there's been too many of them where I think um, it, it's almost felt like an accident that we've scored. Like, as you've said, the ball kind of lands at your feet and you just take opportunities with it. Or sometimes it breaks and, and, and Heinemann, Potentially, he's been a good one recently. Who would then see the ball break? You know, break down maybe eighteen yards out edge of the box, and then he's just drilled in a finisher, or whatever. And um, I suppose the most recent example of that is probably the old firm game, um, and the fact that we've just kind of created a chance out of nothing because it's been a Heinemann shot which has been spilled, and then Clint Hill's there to mop it up. Yeah. None of that's you know orchestrated. It's all um, a little bit kind of touch your luck and you know what you need that but actually what I'd like to see is some sufficient coaching and structure that actually sees us convert some of these chances so what I'm also looking for is an understanding of if we're delivering decent balls which we can do Miller's ball against Muller was excellent by the way I mean that was was phenomenal absolutely terrific ball Um, things like that because then you also know that if you've got guys who will then latch on to a long ball or cause the defence problems you can alternate it as much as you want, but go through steady periods of the game where you're just trying the same thing, even if it's for five or ten minutes, and then be able to try and see if you can recycle it and do something else, just to constantly keep them guessing and see what it is. Right now, it's just a mishmash of all these kind of different opportunities, and again, like you say, it's, it's coming back to that conversion rate, or conversion rate's horrendous. Yeah, and I mean, the, the lack of pattern to our play, as you mentioned there, or as you, you sort of alluded to, uh, very much so that, that, that there is a sort of lack of it especially in the last third now I'd like to come to, to, to some of the I think shared elements of the two games um, you know we can obviously look at the games individually and hopefully we've done that but we can now talk about things I think that have appeared and come out of both games the big one the one everybody's talking about are the substitutions now Obviously, as I said earlier, Kashina had uh, said that it was down to injuries and he had to put these players on, but what we were left with was then a situation where Michael O'Halloran appeared to be playing in front of Kenny Miller, who was sort of filling in at full-back, at left-back, and they would uh, right-back, and they would swap. You had John Terrell at centre-half, and you had Andy Halliday at left-back. However, those players all pushed forwards, and at times, the formation did genuinely resemble a sort of... 
one, two, four, three, which, you know, was bizarre to say the least. Tonight, two conventional substitutions, but a bizarre one at half time when Emerson Hindman was taken off for uh, who was Miller. Come on, Miller. Um, nothing against Miller coming on, he improved us. But why Emerson Heinemann? Did Pedro get the words Heinemann and Halliday confused and then didn't want to say, I've made an arse of this? So he had to go with it. Uh, yes, it's great, a manager who will make brave decisions, but, uh, you know, there's slight alarm bells ringing. I mean, let's be honest, and, and we can all rationalise it and defend it away, but on Saturday, be honest, we were all kind of sitting in the stadium at halftime going, don't really know what's going on here. And then when the second half unfolded, this, that second half was like a bird that you shag that will not leave you alone afterwards. And you have to change your phone number and she turns up at your work and she tells people you're engaged and then she tells you you're preg- uh, she's pregnant when she isn't. All that kind of shit. That was that second half. Oh, but the sex is amazing, which is... Why you put you know why you occasionally put up with it? That's what that second half was. Yeah, but again, it comes back to that guy, that guy in the disco, doesn't it? Because at the end of the day, he'll go around and say he doesn't need to tell his mates that he shagged an ugly, ugly bird. What he can do is turn around and tell his mates that he shagged a bird. So when you get a result out of that game, that actually the performance doesn't really matter because you've got the three points. Right now, we don't even have the three points to be able to try and boast about. So. Do I think that potentially a draw was fair in the Motherwell game because of the first half? Yeah, I would say that it is because the second half had played much better. But then tonight, I think that we created a lot of chances and we failed to score a barrel load of them. So no, I don't actually think we deserve the three points tonight based on the fact that we couldn't convert them. Mm. So when you're not, because both of these things, or sorry, both of these games, the, the common trend for me is the fact that we're not dominating them. I, and I don't think that we're, we're really making any kind of real assertion on the game. And there's a big thing, and uh, there's a big thing around the fact that when teams used to come to Ibrox, when they used to see the team in the tunnel, you already felt a goal down. Whereas actually now, what you're probably coming out and seeing is, you know, half of these guys, are, are, you know, it's quite capable of us being able to try and get here and get a result against them. And for years, we've now had that. Probably, you know, since McCoyce, we've had that kind of capacity where teams have just come out and thought, oh, nah, it's fine, it's only Rangers, we can deal with this. Mm. Um, I don't I don't necessarily blame Kachina for making the substitutions, but I think if you're going to put Miller on, you need to give him as much time as possible with guys that he's familiar with, like Waghorn and like Garner, and try the whole gambit, rather than bringing on um, Dodo and Windass. And then, again, like I say, these guys that were barely used, and he doesn't have any kind of real form of connection with them. Um, so yeah. in a way are we kind of stifling ourselves and are we setting ourselves back by making substitutions that do they need to be made because I don't think they do but uh, well before anyone kind of you know gets on the eye horse and says oh you're writing them off after two games I'm absolutely not and listen I'm, certainly there's nothing at all would make me write off Pedro Cusina this season because of the standard the player he has and with the best will in the world you can only polish your turd up so far and, and unfortunately this playing squad could probably be more accurately described as a bit of a turd of a playing squad. So I'm absolutely not. I'm just saying there were a couple of decisions that, that raised eyebrows and the other thing that I think you need to say in his defence is people will say, we're on 4 nil against Hamilton and then he's had two weeks with the players and we appear to have gone backwards. 
that's not actually that shocking. That happens quite a lot under a new manager. Yeah, you get the old dead cat bounce that people talk about. That happens a lot when a manager just comes in and sort of G's people up, which I don't think is... You don't appoint a, a foreign coach with no experience at, but in this country, but loads of new ideas if you want that dead cat bounce. What you get is someone who's going to come in and hopefully improve you in the long term. And when a coach comes into a club, it can take a while for him to get his ideas across. So a lot of the time, even with really successful coaches, you'll find that the first couple of months are sluggish and slow is just because he's drilling them on the and they're having to get used to new ideas. So it's not, to me, in any way uh, a red flag that the team isn't playing as well as it did the tail end of the Murty rain because I think that that's... That's down to it. And he's been unlucky with injuries. You know, tonight we had to pitch in two debutants. You can't deny that that's going to have an effect. Two kids making the two kids in the back four. Um, a little aside about them, Cameron. What what were your thoughts? I think I think they were quite quite comfortable. I think they were quite competent. I don't um, I don't think they were really overly tested. Uh, Commander came at us for sure, uh, but there was nothing for me which was hair raising in terms of which came out of it. I felt that at times they linked up quite well um, and uh, there was probably... I think what would have been great in an ideal world is if we went a couple of goals up then potentially uh, they could have got forward a little bit more and actually tried to express themselves a little bit more. But no, as I say, doing, doing what they were there to do, um, I think I think they actually performed quite, quite capably. I would have to agree, and I, I thought Beerman was a solid 7 out of 10. I thought for his debut, that's a terrific debut for a kid who looked just perfectly competent out there, so that's that's a really encouraging sign. Um, is he the first Maltese player to play for us? No, I don't think he is. Well, who was the other one? I don't know, but I'm sure I'm, I've, I'm sure I've, there was a Rangers quiz, I think it was maybe on Mark's website, it was like a Rangers players quiz and what countries have been represented. I don't think he is. Well, listen, do you know what? Why don't you give away a prize and someone who can tweet the uh, pod can, can guess that? OK, the prize is that they get to tell me something I don't know and that's very rare that that can Excellent. happen. But if he, is, if he is, he'd be a single malt. <laughs> ah, see, it was basically just all building up to that crap joke. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, I think so. And I saw some people criticising Bates and I didn't really understand it. I, I'm going to... St- Every fibre of my being wants me to refer to him as young master Bates. And I'm not going to do that because, let's face it, over the last few, the banter years, we've seen plenty of wankers and Rangers shots. So I don't think the kid deserves it. There were people criticising him and they were saying, oh, he's, you know, he, he looked nervy. Of course he looked fucking nervy. He's making his debut for Rangers. And I thought that after a couple, you know, a nervy few moments, he came in here, he made a couple of errors. That'll happen. And we can't be, you know... We can't be going. Well, he didn't look like Brazy on his first night, so he's a, he's a debacle. He played, he played fine, and he kept, he was in a team that kept a clean sheet. And I was going to say that if you if you, you were to offer him a clean sheet at the start of the night, you would have taken it. Yeah. So I don't really know it's the way to go. I think I think the thing, and you actually make a really interesting point when we're talking about that um, that conversion from when we're going from Murty into Kachina as well is that you've also got to remember that the players who played under Murty also knew he wasn't going to get the gig full time. So therefore, he wasn't in any kind of real form of power in terms of what was happening with these players come the end of contracts, come renegotiations, etc. So it was nice having that guy in there and interim, 
in actual fact, now you've got someone who's going to be in there, the likelihood will be that you know he's going to get a lot of time and effort to be able to try and do that, and he's going to want to make that team his own and really stamp his own mark on it, which is all something that Marty couldn't do just because of the restrictions that were placed on him. Um, so I think you would need to also remember as well as though that some of these young guys might come in thinking, actually, do you know what, see if the manager's is impressed with what I'm delivering, I've got a future here. And then you've also got other players, we spoke about Howley earlier on, who's actually turned around and saying, well, maybe if I'm not in the plans here, I need to start looking elsewhere. And we're now in that space where if we need him to play, we need him to come on and perform. So I don't I don't think Howley's going to deliberately down tools. No, but no. he's also got to realise that he's, he's playing in borrowed time. So as a result of that, how much, how much do you want to be able to try and see him running back and forth? And if you want to talk about Rangers players who have done similar in the past, there's been plenty of them, plenty of Hall of Famers, I might add, who have known that their time is kind of coming to an end and they've, they've, they've kind of more or less just ticked the box when they've been able to try and um, just see out performances and what have you. Cammy, one of my favourite Rangers players of all time is Brian Loudrop and he downed tools his last season. As soon as he signed the contracts for Chelsea, he was done. Yeah, so no, you're absolutely right. I think in Halliday's case, you're right. I, I wonder if it's more just disappointment if he feels that he's not and he, he can't raise his game to... Because to, he's a limited player, but uh, yeah, I just I just thought tonight he, he, it was a performance that the least I would have expected would have been a lot of fire and there really wasn't that. Now, we come to... Uh, this is a tough one for me because when we signed Joey Garner, I'd seen a lot of Joey Garner. Uh, or a reasonable amount when he played for Preston. I, I was always impressed by the attitude, and you know he looked a real up and up and type. And I thought, you know, in Scotland, a guy like that, when you look around the league at guys who score goals, you would think, yeah, yeah, he'll he, he'll be get his fair share playing for us. And I know the style didn't suit him, but we're now long enough in that I think. And and I said earlier in the, the season that I thought there was a player in Joey Garner, and there may well be, but. I'm beginning to seriously have my doubts whether it'll ever emerge at Ibrox. Um, he came on, and, and this is the frustrating thing, he came on on Saturday at half-time, and I thought he, he was terrific. I got the subs wrong earlier, Joey Garner was one of them. He came on at half-time uh, on Saturday, and, and you know he was excellent. I mean, he really was. He, he, he scored one, he could have had another couple, he got right in the face. He, tonight, he was terrible, and you could say again that he's at least got on the end of a couple of chances, but... The stupid fouls are now, I think, going beyond a joke. The ridiculous booking that he picked up uh, for a guy of his experience and for a guy, you know, who who should be a senior player, you know, new club or not. He should, you know, whether you're at a new club, you're still a ten year, fifteen year pro, whatever. And I think that it's now looking likely that for one point eight million, he had to be better. He's had to be better than this in our current financial predicament and it's just not happening and unfortunately I just don't see how it's going to I just I, I don't know I don't know what he does to change it because it's like when he sees um, balls getting put into the box obviously we've just said about the Miller goal uh, the Miller cross against uh, Motherwell but there's times where it's, it's clear that um, the cross he's coming in and his positioning are two different languages and I think that he's becoming... I don't think it takes a lot to set him off, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, I get that's that he's a got that kind of attitude. Yes. And he, he, he probably, he's probably impatient, so I get all that. But then he, with that attitude, he's played in the wrong position because strikers always assess themselves by goals. Strikers are probably the biggest 
um, players that are affected by confidence. It's the worst position to be able to have it when you don't have any. And in actual fact, I think that Garner now, I, I think, probably realises that he's going to have to graft quite hard to be able to try and up his game a wee bit. I don't know if it was a if it was a kind of a moving up to Scotland and yeah, it'll be it'll be a bit of a buy. Whereas actually he's now realising that he's not he's not performing to what he should be. And I think in a club in our state, when you then have a two million pound price tag, there's a lot of expectations around you. Mm. Um, he's not living up to that. You're totally right. Totally get that. But he cannot turn around and say that the fans aren't supporting him either. No. So. I think, like you say, there's something definitely missing there. I don't. I'm not. I'm not willing to, to defend them overly. However, what I would like to be able to try and do is just probably acknowledge that he's not getting decent quality coming into him in an area where he needs it to be. If that makes sense. Yes. Actually, what I want him to be able to try and do is is almost mix and match it a little bit in terms of where he wants to drop, where he wants to go, where he wants to take the ball, what he's considering doing. Whereas actually what he needs to know is probably a run of goals. Um, and we've mentioned before in the pod about the fact that we've also got guys who are uh, who are playing up top who need to get goals in them. Um, and I don't think, I would actually probably struggle to think of a time where we've had strikers scoring in three or four back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. Within the last eighteen months, I don't think we have. No, well, not since the initial burst under Warburton. Yeah, and and in that space, if it's any of them, it's Miller. So, as I say, I'm not I'm not convinced. I thought that the the game against Hamilton Rackies, when obviously uh, Garner, um, you know, was prolific in that game, uh, despite the fact obviously he could have been potentially sent off, I actually would have given him a bit of a boost. Now I'm seeing him tonight going back to the way he was. It's bizarre. Now, there's a line in a song by Britain's greatest living rock band, Half Man, Half Biscuit, that says, uh, I linger and gop when the council dig a big hole. I cheer for a corner. I don't know why they really lead to a goal. And that really sums up our uh, set pieces because we had so many corners tonight. We had so many corners tonight. And like I say, the only one I can remember causing... Any real issue was one that Danny Wilson got his head on, and uh, fabulous Freddie Woodford uh, managed to, you know, get away from extracting money from, you know, bookies, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, protection money and whatnot. And running cheap fags. Ah, exactly. Yeah, right. You know, it's like running booze, booze vans across the channel. Uh, they managed that, uh, but apart from that, it was almost uh, lazy chucks into the box and just kind of you know we'll just deliver in the hope that someone will, will get in the end of it now as football fans as that line in the song indicates is it that we sometimes overrate corners because I read an article this week that says that actually 3% of corners worldwide lead to goals so it's hardly unique to us but there is also the argument then that well if it's 3% that's an average some teams will have more and, you know, if you're a team that's having two or three corners a match, then if your average is 3%, fine. But if you're having 15, 16, the way we are, then 3%'s a pretty poor average. What are your thoughts? Um, I would I would ask as to how many of those corners in that stat also result in a shot on target. 
um, and then look at your comparison in terms of uh, goals scored versus shots on target because right now we can do both and one thing that we're really good at in terms of actually one area where we're very very consistent is defending corners and scoring from them and our inability to do both um, because in actual fact we are uh, we're, we're not we're not set up to be able to try and do it the, the problem you've got especially when you're defending corners right so corners different to set pieces in and around the final third area toward the byline and in that kind of almost that kind of 10 yard corridor if you will is that potentially you can take short corners it gives you some extra room in terms of obviously if you're trying to act towards the back post there's also a really good a really interesting um, discussion which I've kind of seen one of the coaching programmes which he always talks about if you have a man at the post so if you have a man at the post the understanding is that he will be able to clear any any shot towards goal between the keeper and the post, and he should be able to try and cover that. However, the problem then becomes that what what he's there to do is do that once the ball has been struck towards goal. If you move him out six yards and he stands in line with the post and on the six-yard box, he's also going to be able to clear headers. So he'll also be able to, to clear a header that comes towards the first post. But how many times have you seen goals being conceded where a player hasn't been there and with the benefit of hindsight you can turn and go well if there was a guy in the post they would have saved that yeah. actually when you're then talking about being able to try and convert corners um, we don't seem able to, to have any kind of real form of game plan with it where uh, the British style is let's get a fucking centre half up there <laughs> let's um, get born in the box made, made, made of absolute fucking brick let's fire up towards fucking big mad mental McDavy he comes in smashes it in the goal Fucking tactical genius. However, Scott Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's done as well. It's won us plenty of championships. But um, where we need to be able to try and look at it more is about actually having a shot on goal. And I'll even take shots on target at the moment before I then have an expectancy that we're going to score a barrel load of goals. So even if we can, even if we can convert some of them, then. If you want to be really analytical about it, then we can start to break down, OK, so if a striker aims it towards a particular side of a goalkeeper, and if, if Coutinho is going to continue on with this mentality of let's analyse the team to the extent he's doing, the opposition to the extent he's doing, then he should also be aware of keepers that come for crosses, keepers who will collect the ball and then distribute it to, to, to a local player rather than passing it, you know, punt it right up the park, etc. So in actual fact, what do we then do to stop a counter-attack? Right now, it just doesn't feel like we're really doing any of that. And I don't know if that's on, on the cards and we're just not doing it yet because he's settling in or we're not. We're just, it's just not something that we're focused on at all. Well, it's hard to argue. Now, um, I'm going to sound all sort of Roberto Martinez here when I say I hate to talk about referees, but now, before I say this, the referees did not cost us these matches. That's why we just sat and talked for 40 minutes about the deficiencies in the Rangers team I like, I like to think Rangers fans are quite honest about it but tonight we saw Connor Salmon catch the ball uh, in the Kumar and Rangers not get a penalty and on Saturday I thought one of the worst refereeing performances I've seen in terms of protecting players because Motherwell were thundering and I mean how they finish with, with 11 men I have no idea that there were so many over the top or McDonald constant fouling and breaking up play and it's almost like 
tonight I'll put it down as, as an error, a really bad error, a really bad error, and, and you could say it probably did cost us, well, we might have missed the penalty, you don't know, but it cost us that opportunity. But on Saturday, McLean, I think, tries too hard to prove to everyone that he's not a Rangers fan because of, you know, his family connections and because of the paranoia of uh, a certain club in the fourth estate, uh, you know, fangirls that follow them, that, yeah, I, I think that we sometimes struggle to get a fair... I think 50-50s with him tend to... The benefit of the doubt tends to go to the opposition. And the example of that, I would say, was the Pearson tackle on Saturday, which was an absolute red card. You know, and it looked a red card at the time, and I'm not saying that after the benefit of 20 replays, but he gave him the benefit of the doubt. And... I think a lot of that was he thought if I send off a player in the first half here against Rangers, people say, aye, typical. And I think that did influence him. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm sure all people say, no, no, referees are totally honest. And I think they're honest. It's a subconscious thing. But it was a shoddy, shocking refereeing performance. And, you know, no wonder we get injuries. So it was. And I think it's, it's always because obviously. As you know, Davey, I've went through refereeing courses as well myself because I've just, I found myself being too popular. So I've yeah. tried to find myself, tried to find something to do that will will make me unpopular. And becoming a referee was one of those. But things. without going to prison, you know, Mark Mark exactly. to make him yeah. unpopular. Keep, he, he keeping it slightly legal. Yeah. Mark doesn't get invited to parties um, either, but for different reasons. Mm. Yeah, and by the way, when we're doing the live podcast, you're probably going to want to make sure that you all bring drink covers. For any unattended classes, anything like that as well, just keep them away from Mark. I just can't see Mark being in there. He'll be standing outside, uh, selling knockoff gear at the back of his uh, his car boot. Yeah, alongside your man Woodford. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For Freddie Woodford, official <laughs> official heart and hand t-shirts. Now be like official yeah, knockoff. <laughs> he'll, he'll be like those guys you get coming out of gigs that have got t-shirts for the band misspelled. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, so I, I can understand where you're coming from. I think you, you talk a lot, when, you, when you're doing referee stuff as well, you talk a lot around game management and the fact that the kind of edict from, from above is that you want games to flow, you don't want it to be stop-start, you don't want into any things. The problem with that, however, is that you then start to get into a stage where you feel as if you've got to protect players. Now, I don't mean certain players, I don't mean players who have got a reputation that precedes them or anything else like that as well. Normally, good, that that's different, right? That's kind of man management. So whenever... I've had to deal with players who have maybe been a bit um, over-eager, shall I say, when I've seen them get into tackles and stuff. Actually, I talked to that player and I would say, look, you need to you need to calm down, you need to bring it into a kind of a decent area where you're then going to make sure that you're actually respectful of the man that you're tackling. Because if you start getting into it and it becomes dangerous, you're not actually taking your opposition welfare into concern. When that happens, it's completely irrelevant. So... When you're talking about game management, you want the game to be able to try and ebb and flow and ebb and flow. But actually, sometimes breaks in play do do the right thing for you because it then means that you can start to kind of cool temperatures down a wee bit. And what we've seen kind of quite recently is um, a few niggly tackles and the referees allowed play to continue and then and then someone comes in and actually makes it. And I felt a bit like that with the Pearson challenge because there was a couple which I think the referee had let go prior to that. Um Tonight's just, you can kind of call it, as you can see at the end of the day, it's been a really, really bad error. Um, I don't, I'm not paranoid enough to think that there's 
conspiracy behind it or anything no, like that as well. Of course but the, not. But yeah, the problem, however, is that you and I don't think that because we're relatively sane, so are the majority of the people that we deal with from the Rangers background. However, if there had been a red card in the first half at Ibrox against Mollow on Saturday, and if that penalty had been given tonight, the uproar from the same circles that you've just been mentioning is hun conspiracy. Yeah. And now and what's must happening play is actually minds subconsciously it must do, and they're, they're human beings. So it, it must do, but then you've also got to remember who the overseers are in terms of referee appointments, etc., and how to be able to try and go through um, the, the the referee course as well in terms of what's actually going on. And the problem is that we're now in this um, in this state of mind where if you give something to Rangers, you're a you're a, a, a Ranger sympathizer. If you don't, then in actual fact, the backlash isn't that bad because most Rangers fans will end up just taking it in the chin and, uh, you know, we'll just kind of accept it and move on. So why would you box yourself into a corner with that? That seems like a relatively easy decision to make. Um, the problem being, however, is that that, that becomes uh, a bit of a kind of carte blanche rule for referees who really should, at that stage, manage the game, who should award decisions as they see fit and not actually fear any kind of degree of repercussions, because fundamentally what they're doing is correct. You watch that that uh, handball from Salmon tonight. What I would like to believe is that the referees will convene, look at that decision and say, actually, you got that wrong, but if you had given it, then we would have completely supported you. And if there had been, as I say, murmurings or, or, or outright statements from elsewhere of a credible nature, then we would have absolutely shot that down, whereas we, we can't, because at the end of the day, it's these these people who claim these things go unanswered. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. The, the, the last thing, just before we wrap up for the evening, because this is probably the latest we've ever been recording a pod, um, I think second is gone, and I'm sure there'll be the optimists and the fans of, oh, you know, never give it in, but I think second is gone. I think Aberdeen are, are not going to drop the number of points that we would need, and that's over and above us um, getting it. You know, yeah, the, 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 so... But it does appear that we're going to finish third pretty much regardless, right? What does it say about Scottish football that this appears to be our baseline? That as bad as we can... And we've been bad this season overall that we're going to finish third. I mean, is it just that we've been lucky that Hearts appointed Ian Cathro and it's really, really not going well? Or is that just the sorry state of Scottish football that even a Rangers team is insipid and uninspired as this? Um, the baseline is probably, yeah, third. So you could say that, but then at the same point as well, if I wasn't Scottish and I didn't follow Rangers, then I could then turn in and go, well, actually, there's probably more competition outside of Celtic than there has been in recent years. Uh, because St Johnston are now more of a threat to us than Hearts are. Um, the problem being from a, being Scottish and being a Rangers fan is that right now we need to remove Celtic from the equation because Celtic have been disgustingly consistent in terms of being able to try and churn out results. Obviously, tonight they drew the Partick Thistle at home, but you know from now on, aside from being able to try and keep the league run going, they're pretty much just going to field out a team of Wains and into a full-strength team against us and also in the Scottish Cup uh, semi-final. Now, the side to that has been, um, you, you just have to look at home. Just just look at what we've been, and we've been horrendously inconsistent. We've seen teams that we should have wiped the floor with actually come and be very, very competitive against this and also take points off of us. No, yeah, these and, two matches. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and listen, do you know what? So I think 
you, you and I have both seen years on years that when you have to do it away during the week in a cold, wet night in Kilmarnock, maybe results aren't that great. And in actual fact, um, that's probably where the biggest thing has been. I'm, I'm sure, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I, I seem to remember something along the lines of did Robbie Keane not make one, his debut for Celtic away yeah, from home in this? Lost. And it was about, I welcome to Scottish football now, son. Um, but the whole idea behind it is that actually we're not we're removing Celtic from that because that's our benchmark that's where we need to be able to try and so forget Aberdeen and forget Hearts forget St Johnson actually we need to be able to try and look at that from a uh, from a guidance perspective because they are our trend line now Celtic they can get results when they absolutely have to they buy well they don't buy I mean they've spent money but it hasn't been ludicrous in terms of what they've actually put away from it's outside of our market and I get that but I don't necessarily think we need to compete for that pound for pound um, and again, like you say, they've they've been able to try and focus on that. Then look at Celtic in the Champions League, and they've been the complete the complete opposite. Um, so, in actual fact, you could then turn around and say, if we are sitting in domestic league, aiming for winning the league as our Champions League, Celtic can continue to focus on Europe as much as they want. They're not going to make any traction on that. What we need to be able to try and do is get our own house in order, be more consistent with the things that we're doing, and almost to a certain extent hold ourselves to account in terms of the fact that we can't defend corners, that we can't concede chances when they're made. You know, creating a chance from a corner is virtually non-existent. And I think, as we've said already, some players need to hold themselves to account in terms of what they're actually delivering out there. But Audrey on Sunday, um, two matches against them this season as a as a form guide. Uh, a 2-1 defeat at Pataudry when... Uh, I think pretty much by common consent, Rangers were the better side, but uh, it was a, a sort of typical early season Warburton performance where we had most of the ball, didn't take your chances, they did, and of course a wonder goal in the last minute that, that got them the win. Then a 2-1 victory for us at Ibrox, again probably by common consent, one of our best performances of the season. Um, we had changed our tactics slightly, got right up in their faces, and uh, 2-1 probably flattered them that day. Now, given those performances, is there cause for optimism for Sunday, or is it a case of you just look at the two teams' current form and think this is going to be really hella difficult? I think it'll be very difficult for us to get anything up there. I think, and as much as it pains me to say, I would take a draw at the moment. Um... Aberdeen will absolutely be up for it without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I think second place is already pretty much out of sight, but a win on Sunday pretty much confirms it, you know, in, in, in all but maths. So I think, like you say, from that perspective, it's um, yeah, it's going to be really, really difficult to be able to try and get something from it. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can be able to try and do is go up there is if you're then talking about players who want to prove themselves, if we have to play. Uh, base of playing Beerman, if we're playing other fringe players who are coming into the squad, this is a great opportunity for them to prove their worth. Um, if I was Kachina, that's how I would approach it: is say, look, you guys need to be able to try and get out there, so that even if you don't start or I bring you on, I need to see what you can do. I need to see what you can do against our at the moment closest competition. Yeah. Um, and then I would like to be able to try and, and bring in hopefully some of that fire and some of that passion in terms of what they're actually dealing with here. Um, but I think it's going to be a really, really difficult game for us to be able to try and get anything from. I think it'll be a draw um, because I, I think that we are in a, a sort of run at the moment where we're not turning enough uh, of our good play into, you know, we're not getting the, the reward for it. Not through luck, we're just not 
you know, good enough. We're not converting chances. It's, it's not luck. It's down to uh, ability. But um, I don't think Aberdeen are great. I think if we can match them physically, uh, we should be able to at least escape with a draw. But uh, I've been wrong before. So <laughs> it was, was it twice now? Yeah, yeah. The, well, the, you've got to count the first marriage, I suppose. Oh, that's low. I didn't even want to go that low, but yeah, okay, let's call it that as well. Oh, that was my fault. I mean, she's lovely girl, my fault. Um, but on that on that note, uh, I'm going to say goodbye. But to everyone, here's how you can get in touch with us. You go to Heart and Hand, uh, the Rangers podcast on Facebook. Come say hi to us. And you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at iBrockRocks. And Cami is? At Beat That Beat. All that remains for me to do is to thank an executive producers in London, Mr Mike Lee and Mr Paul Miles, and to thank my guests, Mr Cameron Bell. Stay staunch, David. The world is ours. <laughs> Love it. My name's David Edgar. I've been your host, and I'll talk to you again this time next week. Cheers. Bye. Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.